Hello, everyone, and welcome to the August 24th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Fols, an attorney with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A Los Angeles-based Uber driver filed a class action case accusing the ride-sharing upstart of refusing to provide workers' compensation insurance. The driver, Omar Zine, says he was beaten up and badly injured by a customer. Uber claims he is an independent contractor so that workers' compensation benefits are not required. But last April, the California Labor Commission rejected Uber's arguments that it is a neutral technological platform, finding instead that the company is involved in every aspect of the operation. Given that involvement, the commission determined that drivers are properly classified as employees and ordered Uber to pay driver Barbara Berwick over $4,000 in reimbursable business expenses. The plaintiff in this new lawsuit alleges that Uber nevertheless still classifies drivers as independent contractors. The plaintiff says he was driving when he when he got into an argument with an as-yet unidentified passenger. He says the passenger escalated the situation and repeatedly struck him on the head with a metal pipe or similar object. He is now allegedly permanently disabled and has struggled with depression, anxiety, and sleeplessness. He also claims in the class action that there are thousands of current and former drivers who are also entitled to workers' compensation benefits. He wants a declaration that Uber must classify all drivers as employees and restitution for himself and all class members and special, punitive, and exemplary damages for unfair business practices, assault, and battery. Uber has been the target of several similar lawsuits since the 2013 suit brought by former drivers claiming they were misclassified as contractors. In June of this year, Uber drivers Lori Kellett and David Katoy of Los Angeles sued Uber for allegedly failing to pay overtime and regular wages and not providing them with meal and rest breaks. An administrative law judge in mid-July recommended that Uber be fined $7.3 million for breaking several California labor laws. Uber stated that it would appeal that ruling. And now, our fraud report. UR and IMR supports its decision on treatment guidelines derived from peer-reviewed published medical journal articles. This sounds like a straightforward process, but now there's a marked increase in the number of scientific and medical articles being retracted because of fraud or suspected fraud. According to an organization known as Retraction Watch, approximately 250 scientific papers have been retracted by all publishers for fake peer reviews since 2012. And another 32 have been flagged for peer review fraud, but not yet retracted. Now this week, another major publisher, Springer, has confirmed that it is retracting 64 articles from 10 of its subscription journals. The Springer Journal collection includes more than 2,500 English language and close to 200 German language journals. 
Springer is also home to the largest portfolio of open access journals, including the journals from Biomed Central and the Springer Open Portfolio. The announcement does not say which papers were withdrawn or where they were published, nor does it identify the source of the fake reviews. The announcement comes nine months after 43 other studies were retracted by its subsidiary Biomed Central for the same reason. A federal jury in Los Angeles convicted the former owner, operator, and managers of a Southern California ambulance company for a Medicare fraud scheme of at least $2.4 million. In the past, the prosecutions tended to be for ghost billing, for illegal kickbacks, or for services clearly not provided. But now, a large number of new cases are being prosecuted based upon allegations of no medical necessity. This case filed against ProMed Medical Transportation is a good example. 47-year-old Yaroslav Pershak of Valley Village, California, 58-year-old Amelia Zverev of Van Nuys, and 37-year-old Sharita Michelle Wallace of Inglewood, California, each were convicted this week of one count of conspiracy to commit health care fraud and five counts of health care fraud following a two-week trial. Sentencing for the three is scheduled for November. Proshock owned and operated ProMed Medical Transportation, an ambulance company in the Los Angeles area that provided non-emergency ambulance transportation services. Zarev was the billing manager and Wallace supervised ProMed's emergency medical technicians. These defendants conspired to bill Medicare for ambulance transportation services for individuals whom the defendants knew did not need such services. EMTs were instructed to conceal the true medical conditions of patients by altering paperwork and creating fraudulent documents to justify the transportation services. The owner and manager instructed employees to alter the run sheets to ensure that they did not write certain terms to indicate that they were ambulatory or able to walk. Years of construction fraud and grand theft by scamming consumers out of thousands of dollars for asphalt driveway paving work will keep Alexander Pike Mitchell behind bars at least two additional years. Mitchell, who has a history of contracting without a license and abandoning jobs once he secured a down payment, pled guilty to three additional felony grand theft counts. He agreed to a Harvey waiver for the dismissed counts, which means he is required to pay restitution on all counts connected with the plea. The Contractor State License Board added Mitchell to its most wanted list in April 2013 after the San Diego County District Attorney's Office issued a warrant for his arrest that included five counts of grand theft, diversion of funds, and two counts of elder abuse. Mitchell was suspected of scamming consumers in Santa Clara, Santa Cruz, Riverside, and San Diego counties. Mitchell pled guilty to two counts of grand theft last June in San Diego County Superior Court and agreed to pay victim restitution. 
He received a four-year sentence with a 50-50 split of the time, meaning he must serve two years in San Diego County Jail and two years on mandatory supervision. He was ordered to pay $9,300 in victim restitution in that case. Shortly after that ruling, an additional 40-month state prison sentence was added to the term he already was serving for theft by false pretenses, operating without a contractor license, with prior convictions, and a workers' compensation insurance violation. Overall, Mitchell has been sentenced to serve a total of nine years and four months for all of his convictions. State officials say the Contractor State License Board investigators find unscrupulous people like Alex Pike Mitchell every day. This is why it encourages everyone to check its website or call its toll-free line to make sure any contractor is licensed and in good standing with the Contractor State Licensing Board. Its most wanted list was created as an added measure to protect California consumers from dishonest operators. 45-year-old Bhagwant Singh of Hesperia pleaded no contest to felony payroll tax evasion in Victorville Superior Court. The plea was a culmination of an investigation and prosecution of Singh and his trucking and transportation companies, A&J Shipping and Los Angeles Express Trucking of Fontana and Hesperia. The investigation began after a number of complaints were received by the Labor Commissioner's Office alleging underpayment of wages by Singh to his employees. When it was discovered that Singh's businesses did not have the proper workers' compensation insurance coverage, the investigation was taken over by the San Bernardino County District Attorney's Office. During the investigation, it was discovered that, in addition, Singh had also failed to submit payroll records and deductions as required to the Taxing Authority, California's Employment Development Department. Singh was placed on formal probation for a period of three years, ordered to make restitution to the EDD in the amount of $178,000 and other terms and conditions of probation. And in regulatory news, the DWC will implement a new online panel process for represented workers on October 1st. It will no longer accept or process paper submissions for a QME panel postmarked after September 3rd. The new process requires parties in a represented case to submit initial QME panel requests online and they will immediately receive a QME panel. The requesting party will then serve the panel request form, any required documentation, and the QME panel on all parties. The DWC has posted an online training video and FAQ on the medical unit website. The video demonstration details the way in which represented initial panel requests will be submitted using the new online system. However, nothing was said about panel requests needed between September 3rd and October 1st. So we posed this question to the medical unit this week and received this response. The medical unit will not accept Form 106 panel requests between September 3rd and October 1st. All panel requests on paper Form 106 must be postmarked no later than September 3rd, 2015. 
No panel requests will be processed for any represented initial panel request postmarked after that date. This will give the medical unit an opportunity to process all of the paper requests. But Section 31.1C of the QME rules state that if the medical director is unable to issue a QME panel in a represented case within 30 calendar days from receipt of the request, the parties may seek an order from a WCAB judge. Although the medical unit will not process any represented initial panel requests submitted after September 3rd, the parties will be able to generate a panel list automatically as of October 1. Therefore, the delay will be less than the 30 calendar days for obtaining a panel. However, the time limits should be carefully monitored and managed. Assembly Bill 553 was signed into law by Governor Brown, and this adds another layer to insurance industry oversight. The law establishes new tools to reduce the number of insolvencies of insurance companies and bring the U.S. oversight standards in line with established international standards. AB 553 includes an urgency clause, so it takes effect immediately. Oddly, the bill even was even supported by insurance industry stakeholders. AB 553 aligns state law with new and improved standards developed by the National Association of Insurance Commissioners in two key areas. An improved oversight of the corporate governance policies and practices of insurance companies, including their board management structure, code of conduct, and risk management processes. It required new disclosures and filings that will assist the commissioner in determining the overall financial and corporate capacity of companies to conduct business and identify troubled companies quickly. The law will also clarify the role of state insurance departments as group-wide supervisors over multinational insurance groups as part of the Insurance Holding Company System Regulator Act. AB 553 was approved by the Assembly and Senate unanimously. There was no opposition noted in the legislative record. Workers' compensation benefits as a share of payroll continue to decline even as employment grows and overall employer costs increase. Historically, cash benefits have been a larger share of workers' compensation benefits than medical payments to injured workers. But, Due to rising health care costs during the last 30 years, medical benefits now account for an increasing share of total workers' compensation benefits. From 29% in 1980 to now more than 50% in 2013. About 33 states currently spend more than half of their workers' compensation spending on medical care for the injured worker. California pays almost 55% of costs as medical benefits. Despite the growth of employment following the Great Recession, benefits per $100 of covered payroll dropped to $0.98 cents in 2013, a 5% decrease from 2009. At the same time, 
There was rising workers' compensation costs for employers, now $1.37 per $100 of covered payroll, a 5% increase from 2009. Workers' compensation benefits as a share of payroll were lower in 2013 than during almost any period in the last three decades. Total workers' compensation benefits in 2013 were $63.6 billion, while employer costs were $88.5 billion. Benefits as a percent of payroll declined in 39 states between 2009 and 2013, continuing a national trend in lower benefits relative to payroll that began in the 1990s. Experts say the decline is due to a drop in workplace injuries, as well as changes in many state laws that made it more difficult for workers to qualify for benefits. The DWC has scheduled a public meeting to discuss issues related to developing an evidence-based drug formulary for use in the workers' comp system. The meeting will be held on September 14 from 10 o'clock till noon at the Elihu Harris State Office Building Auditorium, located at 1515 Clay Street in Oakland. This meeting is an opportunity for the public to provide input to the division on developing and implementing a formulary. The DWC will facilitate discussion on how to best achieve the intended goals of an evidence-based drug formulary. At its most basic level, a formulary is a list of medicines. Traditionally, traditionally, a formulary contained a collection of formulas for the compounding and testing of medication. But today, the main function of a prescription formulary is to specify particular medications that are approved to be prescribed under a particular public or private payment program. The development of prescription formularies is based on evaluations of efficacy, safety, and cost-effectiveness of drugs. By the turn of the millennium, 156 countries had national or provincial essential medicines lists and 135 countries had national treatment guidelines or formulary manuals. In the U.S., where a system of private health care is in place, a formulary is a list of prescription drugs available to enrollees. When used appropriately, formularies can help manage drug costs. Most formularies cover at least one drug in each drug class and encourage generic substitution. That is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, your iPod, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.